Give me liberty or give me death. Who said those words? Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry. I learned or relearned after forgetting this week when and where he said those words. It was 1775 at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And that was part of a speech that is largely credited with getting Virginia to send their troops into the American Revolution. Give me liberty or give me death. I think about that phrase and I move my mind to a much higher, more eternal freedom. I think about the cross and, and I think at the cross it's almost as though according to the eternal counsels of the Holy Trinity, Jesus cried out, at the cross, give them liberty. Give them liberty and give me death. And I think about that, that statement, that idea, and I think about outbursts in church. There are all kinds of outbursts in church. Most of them I never hear. Someone will come up to me after service and say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And usually I'll say, no, what happened? Last week, I heard one of those. It was one of our new babies. <laughs> I won't say which one. But it was the kind of outburst that usually happens right after you change their diaper. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> Told the baby's dad he should be proud. <laughs> Somebody else said a nice thing about that when you have babies like that. Dad, you can always blame it on the baby, right? That's one kind of outburst in church. But I, but I think about freedom in Christ and the, the cost he paid to purchase it. And I think it should lead to a whole different kind of outburst. Last night, we had been given tickets to the Wranglers' first playoff game. And you should have seen how wild the fans were. There was one guy down by the wall. He was about to fall on the state uh, field, I mean. He was going like this, waving at the other team, doing this. And he almost fell on there a couple times. And I think, man... We should be at least that excited about the freedom that Christ has purchased us, at least inside. I don't, I don't really care if you do it outwardly, but at least inside there should be a, a hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that freedom you purchased me. Thank you, Father, for sending him. Thank you for sending the Spirit to live in me that I might walk in that freedom. Give them liberty and give me death. What a great offer. But I, I want to warn us all as we wrap up the book of Galatians about a potential tragedy. It's that Jesus did everything needed to, to earn that freedom. And we somehow walk out of here not living in that freedom. Because A, we didn't believe in Jesus in the first place. Or B, we believed in him sometime long ago, but I forgot what that freedom means, that I am no longer under condemnation, that I am no longer a slave to sin. What a tragedy that would be. It, it's kind of like those dogs, if you've ever seen them on America's Funniest Home Videos. Sometimes they'll show a video of a dog where a screen door is usually closed and, and they open the screen door and the dog wants to go outside so bad you can tell because he's whimpering, but he won't go. Because he thinks that screen door is still there. That's what he's used to. But the door is open. There's nothing between him and all the freedom he wants to enjoy. But he stays there. 
Now, it's funny when it's a dog. It's sad when we talk about this reality that the door is open to freedom. But we don't take advantage of it in our lives. I don't want us to do that. So as we wrap up the book of Galatians, what I'm going to do today is kind of like what I know we're going to do on the day before Jaden goes on on his first solo drive when he gets his full license. He's got his permit right now, right? And so we're pouring little information into him along the way. But I know that that day before his first drive alone, there's going to be a long, this is gonna, we're just going to pour it all on him. Don't do this, do that, watch out for this. And I know, I know. But why do we do that? Because we love him, right? That's why I'm going to do it today with the book of Galatians. I do not want us to go out of here having sat under the truth about freedom in Christ in this book and not live in it. That, that would break my heart. And so I'm going to share a lot of visuals today. Because what do they say? A picture is worth a thousand words. And some of these visuals are based on original things from the church next door. From, from my study, some of them are accredited to folks who made charts that I adapted for the screen. In moments like that, we'll put their names up there. But it's all designed to help us take this truth away. If you see a visual up here that you really want to take with you, I won't mind if you snap a picture of it, but I'll also let you know we're going to be sending these all out in the church email and on the Facebook page if you want to revisit these for the book of Galatians. So you ready to dive in? All right, first visual. I want to show you an overview of the New Testament. We're not going to read this whole thing, but this came from author Irving Jensen. He wrote a book I love called Survey of the New Testament. And you can see what he does is kind of breaks down all 27 books. You got the Gospels and Acts. Those are the historical facts and roots of the Gospel. And then he sums up some of the main topics in many of the letters in the New Testament, whether it's Revelation, God and Christ on the throne, Philippians, Joy in Christ. And if you know your Bible, you know these books cover a lot more than just these things. But it, it's a good snapshot. I like it for a couple reasons. One, Sometimes when I'm pondering, what do I want to read next? This chart is helpful. I want to, I want to study uh, forgiveness in Christ or Christ in the church. But for today's purposes, I mainly wanted you to see where Galatians fits in the whole mix. You can see he summarizes it under the doctrine of salvation, right? And what does he sum up the theme of it as? Liberation by the gospel. Freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans tells us the way of salvation. Galatians tells us how to live in that freedom. So that's where we've been. Now I want to zoom in to the book of Galatians. Just overview style. You remember where we started way back in chapters one and two. Paul began by telling us what is the gospel that he preached and why should we put our faith in it? You may be asking those questions today. So that's that's where he begins. And so I thought of it like this. What if we viewed those first two chapters as Paul giving us his resume for the gospel that he preached? So I created a resume. Paul's gospel. 116 Romans Road, 1-800-I-AM-SAVED. <laughs> By grace through faith at Jesus.com. Do not call or email those. I don't believe those are real contact information. If you try and get somebody, let me know. But the first page of his resume in this book, he was telling us the, the content of the gospel. What is the content of it? 
And the core of it is right there in Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You could go on to the second bullet, Galatians 2, 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not made right with God by works of the law. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the content that he gave us. But he also knew there was this issue of people asking, why should I trust that content? So page two of two on his resume, we want to go on to the qualifications that he told us about. First bullet point, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God revealed Jesus Christ to me. That's a darn good qualification for why we should listen to what Paul says, right? Second one, he goes to see the apostles, and he says, those who seemed influential added nothing to me. In other words, those of you questioning the gospel I preach, you need to know that the other apostles said it was fine. They added nothing to it. In fact, when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. In other words, they said, yeah, go preach it, Paul. We're with you. So there's the content. There's the qualifications. But what's at the core of the gospel? Let's go on to the next slide right here. That's where we talk about the power of Christ's cross. This is at the core of the true gospel. You remember Galatians 6.14 where he said, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing Paul would boast in. You remember what he said in Galatians 1.8, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Why? Because the cross of Jesus is the only gospel. Paul says, even if I tell you something different, let me be accursed. But I love what Henrietta Mears did in her book, What the Bible is All About. She listed out some of the things that Christ delivered us from on the cross. Sin. The curse of the law, the self-life, the world. And I want to read that verse about the world. Galatians 6.14. After Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? Listen, what it means is, I'm going to get to you by asking you a question. How many times have we seen in the Bible, read in the Bible, heard in church from the Bible that lasting satisfaction does not come in things of this world? And yet, how often do we leave here believing that it does and, and living as though it does and then being disappointed when we don't find it there? Paul says, I've been crucified to the world system. I'm no longer going to be swayed by that lie that I'm going to find satisfaction there. Dude perfect. How many of you know what those two words mean? A couple. Okay, dude perfect are these four guys that live in Texas. They have a YouTube channel. They do lots of stunts like shooting basketballs from the rafters of a stadium into a hoop down on the court. Very, very fun watch. 
Carolyn and Evan went down to Phoenix. They were on their tour, and they came to a stadium in Phoenix, and, and they said they didn't do many of those trick shots for obvious reasons. Those take hundreds of shots <laughs> on video before they get them. But what they did do was a lot of the other activities that they do on their YouTube page. But what was really cool was at the end of their, their show, they said, hey, if any of you want to stick around and hear why we do what we do and how us four friends have managed to stay as friends for 13 years with all the tensions of business and such, we'll share that with you. They said most of the stadium stayed, and those four guys stood there, and they looked at all the kids and parents there, and they said, you guys, this world is going to tell you that if you get X amount of money, you're going to be happy. Or it's going to tell you if you get X amount of YouTube clicks, you're going to be happy. And they said to that whole stadium full of people, they said, we've experienced both of those on a scale that we could have never imagined. But that's not where we find happiness. You know where we find happiness? We find happiness in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And they went on to preach the gospel to that whole stadium full of people. That's what it means to be crucified to the world. Are they enjoying their lives and what they're doing in the world? Yes. But they know that's not where lasting satisfaction comes. They know it comes here. And so looking to the world for that reason has lost its appeal. That's the power of the cross. So we've talked about the content, the qualifications, the core. Now I just want to ask you the first of three important questions as we wrap up this book. Have you trusted in the one true gospel? I don't assume that just because you're here, you have. I'm asking every one of you to go before the Lord and ask if you're counting on Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. If you're not sure or you have questions about that, come talk to us. That's, that's why we are here. Have I trusted in the one true gospel? Now I want to go on to our second section. Paul talks about the law a lot in this book, right? If you remember the last number of weeks. I want to show you three contrasts between the law and other things to help us get the big picture. The first one is law and liberty. What's the relationship between law and liberty? And credit here goes to Irving Jensen once more. The law of God is our tutor unto Christ who set us free for liberty. And there's the verses in Galatians that show us those truths. In other words, what? The law is a means to an end. It is meant to lead us to Christ, to see I need a savior. I need grace. Bottom line, all right. Let's go on to the next one. Law and spirit, the Holy Spirit. Again, Irving Jensen gets credit here. Before Christ came, men were kept in custody under the law. We were imprisoned there. It declared us all guilty, right? Every one of us is guilty of breaking the law. Then what happened was what Paul calls the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth his son. He died on the cross for our sins. That we might move into a relationship with him by faith where we now live through the spirit who lives within us. Rather than being kept in custody under the law, I love what Jeremiah says about the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33, he speaks of the law in their inward parts. What, what is he talking about there? 
he's talking about no longer is the law just this, uh, the, the, the commands of God, this external thing out here that I try to accomplish in my own flesh. It's I want to obey God now because the spirit of God lives in me. The difference between external have to only and internal want to. You catching that? It, it's like Brian and Dana. They recently went on a road trip. And, and one of the things that Brian was telling me yesterday is that Dana went on three runs on their vacation. One of them was 19 miles. Now, I know there's some people that will only run if somebody's coming after them with a knife or a gun, right? That's the have to. She's out there doing it not once, but twice, three times on a vacation. That's the want to. She runs, obviously, because she loves to run. Let's just get to the heart of why and how I obey God. It's this internal want to because his spirit lives in me now as a believer. And then, of course, there's the difference in Galatians between immature children who don't get to yet enjoy the rights of being an heir. That's before Christ came. But when Christ came, we put our faith in him. We become mature sons and daughters and heirs of God through Christ. Believer, that's who you are. And I think about that position. You know what I think about? I think about Esau. In my quiet time this week, part of it was in Genesis. And I read that story many of us have heard a million times. He went out hunting. He was starving. He came home and his brother Jacob had made some stew. And Jacob took advantage of the moment and said, yeah, you can have some if you give me your birthright. You know what that birthright involved? It was his position and his inheritance. And Esau was so hungry, he said, yes, I will do it. And the New Testament uses that picture to warn us against making the same mistake in our spiritual lives. To, to trade in what really matters or forget about what really matters for things that will not last. Hebrews 12, 16. He tells us, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Some translations say profane, godless, like Esau who sold his birthright. For a single meal. And obviously the primary application is don't live your life without believing in Jesus. You're, you're, you're missing what really matters for things of this world. But for you, believer, if you're a believer today, the challenge is don't forget who you are. You're a son or daughter. You're an heir. Don't dare trade that in in the way you live looking for satisfaction in things of this world. So that's law and spirit. Final one here, I want to talk to you about law and grace. And this comes from Dr. Thomas Constable at the Dallas Theological Seminary. And i got to clarify something here. Is the law of God a bad thing in and of itself? No. It, it comes from God, and the New Testament makes it clear the problem is not with the law. Where's the problem lie? Right here. Us sinful human beings. Okay, so as we go through this, what we're talking about primarily is which one we choose to look to for salvation. And you need to ask yourself, which one am I looking to for salvation? Grace is based on faith. Law is based on works. Grace justifies sinful men. The law cannot. Grace begins and ends with Christ. Law makes Christ nothing. And I want to read you the verse for begins and ends with Christ. 
you've heard it as we've gone through, but Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It begins and ends with Christ. Next one. Grace is the way of the Spirit. Law is the way of the flesh. I, know, I want to hit you with that right from Galatians chapter 3. He looks at these Galatians that he loves so much, and he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The word to us today is, hey, maybe you started knowing it's by faith, but someone came along and got you living under bondage. Don't, don't go there. Grace is a blessing. Law brings a curse. Grace is God's desired end. Law is a means to God's end. Next one. Grace depends on the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. As he told us in Galatians 5. Law depends on human effort. Grace is motivated by love. Let me give you that verse. Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Grace centers on the cross. Law centers on human works, what I can do. And then the final one, grace brings intimacy with Christ. That verse in 327 says we put on Christ when we come to him in faith. You can't get more intimate than that. Trying to earn salvation by the law estranges us from Christ. It, it puts a wall between us because what are we saying? We're saying this is not enough, Jesus. I have to add to your sacrifice. Okay, let's go on. Grace makes one a son and an heir. Law keeps one a slave. And the final one, grace results in freedom. Law results in bondage. Galatians 5.1 says that the most succinctly, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I want to ask the second of the three questions today as we wrap up this book. Will I live in bondage or freedom? Will you live in bondage or freedom as you walk out of here being exposed to the truth of this book? Final section. Kind of deals with, all right, now I'm free. What do I do with my freedom? We're going to talk about two crops that Paul talked about. We're going to go on to that next slide, please, Stetson. The first crop comes when we sow to the Spirit. And you'll see the fruit of the Spirit there. Just take a moment and look at the fruit of the Spirit when we sow to the Spirit. Let those sink in, the love, the joy, the peace. Gentleness, self-control. You can also sow to our flesh. And you can see the, the acts of the flesh on the right side. Take a look at those for a moment. Even believers fight this battle on a daily basis. I want to ask you this morning, when you look at those two very different crops... Which one characterizes your life this morning? Is 
if you're like me, it, it may depend on what day it is. It may be a mixture, but I'm telling you this, believer. If you look at this list over here and you say, yep, check, 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 we have some confessing to do before our Lord. We have some repenting to do. Lord, help me lay that down. Help me walk in the Spirit again so that my life looks more like the fruit He wants to bear. Why? Galatians 5.13, Paul says, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The second and last slide in this final point I want to go to is, okay, now I'm free. What really counts in life? What really matters? And on this bullseye, what you'll see are three verses in the New Testament where Paul comes flat out and says what really counts. And in all three of these verses, he says it's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision. In other words, it's not works of the law, but it's these three things. And I put them where I put them on purpose. A new creation is the heart. He says not, not circumcision or uncircumcision, but a new creation is what counts. Galatians 6.15. Why is that the heart of the matter? Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as I am, I'm not primarily a, a churchian. I'm not primarily a, a good workian. And although I'll be the first to tell you, being part of a church family is important if you're going to walk in obedience to God. And I'll be the first to tell you, he wants to bring good works in our lives I'm telling you, if you have those two things, but you're not a new creation in Christ Jesus, you have missed the boat. That's the core of it all. Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? Please don't miss that. But then coming out from there, in Galatians 5, 6, he says, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but faith working through love. It's that faith in that Christ inside of me that brings the works that he wants to do. Is that where my good works come from? And then lastly, keeping the commandments of God. He says the same thing there. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 1 Corinthians 7, 19. You say, sum up for me the commandments of God. Bill did that back in Galatians 2. Number one, read the New Testament. Okay, but number... As he shared it, remember two things. Why are we here? Why are we here? The Great Commission to go out and make disciples. Secondly, when Jesus was asked, what are the most important commandments in the law? What did, what did, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This act I'm about to take, does it show love for God with all that I am? This act I'm about to do, this thought I'm about to dive into, does it love my neighbor as myself? That's the heart of the matter. I want to show you a picture. D.L. Moody's been big on my mind lately because we were just there in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute, so I wanted to finally pass on some pictures. They have a little museum there. There's a wax figure of D.L. Moody preaching. This was cool. This was either a replication or some of his original notes. I don't know which. You can see his before iPads. He would cut out the, the scripture and put it on those little brown, brown pieces. That's Mark 7 talking about how all the evil deeds of man come out of our hearts. And 
Then he, he writes, no pure stream with a bad fountain. Your, your life will not be right until your heart is right. Same thing we've been hearing in Galatians, right? This is the dorm I used to live in. There's my picture of Carolyn and the boys on the courtyard. You can see who's the photographer. My picture is all fuzzy, right? Hers are all nice and sharp. This is a replica of the plaque that's in Boston at the shoe store where D.L. Moody was saved in 1855. But this was right in Chicago on the campus. And we got a picture by it. It says, near this spot in the spring of 1889, Dwight L. Moody, man of vision, knelt and asked God for this land on which to build a Bible school. And I, I just think about the many millions God has used that ministry to reach. And, and I think there's a man who used his freedom in Christ for the glory of God. And that, that's the question we're de dealing with here. What will I do with my freedom? And there's two parts of his life, two quotes, two stories that I think will help us as we decide as believers, what will I do with my freedom? The first one is a quote that's associated with D.L. Moody. I want you to listen to this. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Now, some historians tell us that was passed on to him from Henry Varley, a British revivalist, but whatever the case, Moody held that quote dearly in his life. What if, what if we live like that? I, I want to be wholly set apart to God. One illustration of that came from a true story in his life. Dave Gorgas shared it with me a couple weeks ago, and I'll pass it on to you in closing. But first, I've got to ask you a question. How many of you like to game Monopoly? Okay. How many of you hate the game of Monopoly? Okay. That division pretty much sums up our house. What happens in Monopoly? The, the winner takes over everything, right? That's why I love it. <laughs> That's why Carolyn hates it. Why do I share that here? Well, this final story about D.L. Moody is about Monopoly. Not the game, but the word. There was a group of people planning a revival in the 19th century, and they were trying to decide who's going to speak here. And somebody brought up the name D.L. Moody. And there was a man in the crowd that raised his hand, and I don't know if he was jealous or didn't like D.L. Moody or what, but he said, Moody, Moody, Moody. Does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Long, awkward pause in the room until another fellow raised his hand and said, No, no, but it does seem that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. I thought, man, what if we all used our freedom that way? Say, God, I want you to have a monopoly on my life. I want to surrender everything that I've been holding back from you and just invite you to have your way through your spirit living in me. As we close, I want to review the three main questions from Galatians. Have I trusted in the one true gospel? 
Will I live in bondage or freedom? And what will I do with my freedom? I'll leave you with a word of encouragement from Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this book. Lord, I thank you that you inspired Paul to write it. It was needed at his time, and it's come in as very crucial in different moments of history, including the, the Reformation, to help set men free from the bondage of flesh-driven religion. And it's timely in our lives today. And I pray for each one in this room that we would not be like that dog sitting in front of an open screen door thinking we can't go out. The door's open. Will we, A, receive Jesus by faith? And if we have, B, just go out living in the freedom, knowing we're no longer condemned, knowing we're no longer a slave to sin. But we're sons and daughters of God and heirs. And going out and asking you moment by moment, Lord, what do you want me to do with my freedom today? Please bear your fruit in my life with those around me. Please help me lay down those acts of the flesh and follow you flat out till the day you return. In Jesus' name, amen.